Hello, welcome to Just Real the podcast. I'm your host Justine Ferrarelli and today I'm very excited to announce my first guest, Griffin Coombs, who is going to be on here to talk all things men's mental health. Hey Griffin, welcome. Hey Justine, thanks for having me. It's very exciting. I'm also my first guest. I'm a little bit like, ah, but I'm, I'm very happy that it's you as my first guest. And we've already had some hiccups before we started recording, which were quite funny. I cut you off. Yeah, um, as, as real as it gets, though. Just <laughs> exactly. real podcast, we were saying. Just real the podcast. So, um, right. So I'd love you to introduce yourself to the listeners. Just tell them a little bit about yourself and what you do, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, so as you as you pronounced beautifully, my name is Griffin Coombs. Um, I am I'm an American guy. I live in Tangier, Morocco right now. I work full time in education as a school administrator. Um, and then my other professional life is a fitness and movement and breathing coach. Um, so I have uh, I give freelance, um, group classes and private lessons and training sessions in, uh, personal training, uh, systems like, uh, certain types of yoga and animal flow, uh, martial arts, self-defense and breath work. So that's kind of my online presence, the short and sweet version. I love that. I said to you earlier, actually on a voice note, I said, it's like, you're a tree with many branches. So yeah. we have to really kind of hone in on a few of the branches. Um, but it's all incredible, all the work you do. And we've been following each other for, I'd say, a few years now. What yeah, I think say? about three, yeah, three years, I think. And supporting each other, little cheerleaders. And I've watched you grow and I've watched your platform change and the things that you're sharing and we really connected on a lot of things. So it's really beautiful to be the witness of that and to have you here to, to share what you do with the listeners. Um, obviously, we are going to focus today on men's mental health, which you very openly talk about. And we've had a lot of conversations about mental health um, privately together. So it's really beautiful to be able to have this conversation and to share it with with everyone else. Um, I'm gonna go in with my first question. Like this is not an interview obviously, but you know, a conversation. So one of the questions that I do have for you is what does mental health mean to you? Like when someone says mental health to you, what does it mean to you now? Hmm, Yeah, that's a really great question Um, because it means so many things um, and I, yeah, it's hard to not exclude other uh, versions or takes on mental health. Um, but when you just think about personal experience and I guess I wouldn't say what what it means to me, but just like what facet of mental health really resonates with me is the is everyday mental health for everyday people. Um, I think that the kind of global conversation is getting better at recognizing and accepting and talking about um, diagnosed mental health Mm. struggles. Uh, And so I have actually on a couple different occasions, I was enrolled in a graduate program for school counseling and um, my career just didn't take me that route. It didn't work out for many reasons. But I remember when I would write like a mission statement or a cover letter to go into those counseling programs for kids, my my kind of driving message was that everybody needs to work on this. Everybody needs support when it comes to mental health. So it's one thing to focus on you know, we're talking about schools, so I'll use the word students, right? If it's one thing to focus on the students who have diagnosed um, mental health struggles, diagnosed w- and and other uh, special needs, whatever it is, autism, 
ADHD, mm. uh, PTSD, I mean, you name it. And then when we talk about mental health, I think we're just starting now to talk about people who are undiagnosed and don't need a diagnosis to go to therapy or to practice um, self-love or to heal from trauma that we've all experienced at some point in our lives. You don't need a diagnosis for that. You don't need um, some like epiphany experience to start working on that stuff. It's oftentimes, I feel the people who are just kind of uh, okay on the surface mm. that have so much brewing underneath that needs to be addressed. So I think that's where the conversation's going um, these days. And that's really what resonates with me. So that's, yeah, that's one of the reasons I'm just really happy to be talking about this stuff. Yeah, I really, really agree with everything you've said. And one thing that, you know, like you've mentioned, um, I think there was a lot of shame in people that, you know, have said, you know, for me, for example, I was like, well, I haven't had a bad life. Like, I, I can't say, you know, there's people that are worse off than me. So it's almost like you don't feel like you have the right to to say I'm struggling with my mental health because there's so many people in the world that are doing worse. But I think it's really important to say that we all we all need to exercise that muscle, that mental health. And, you know, you, like you go to the gym, what are you mm. doing for your mind? And just because you, you know, you, you may have a comfortable life, you may have a loving family, you may not have anything that's, like you said, such a, a big event that's traumatic but we all experience trauma in our life and that could be very small. Trauma doesn't have to be such a huge, you know, life-changing thing. It could be a lot of small events that cause your mental health to, to be affected. And, you know, as much as we can openly talk about, you know, the people that do have, you know, that have been diagnosed, there's also the, I, I don't even want to say like the regular day-to-day -day people and we, we do, struggle and specifically what I'm really passionate about is is men's mental health because I've witnessed so many times I mean not not so much in my my um household but you know in watching movies in watching seeing things throughout my life where men have been told and have been perceived to be the strong ones and no boys don't cry um you know you know boys get up that the men you know have to carry everything and it's okay for a woman a woman to be crying but if a man does it it's it's, it's like weak and I think I was quite ignorant to it when I was younger about men you know, I always found it really difficult to see a man crying. I found it so upsetting. And I thought about why. And it's because it's just so rare for it to be shown. And, you know, even working at school when I was younger, you know, oh, come on, like, boys don't cry. Like, be a big boy. Hmm. That was one of the big ones. Be a big boy. Um, or boys even saying to me, I I'm not crying, Miss Justine. Like, I'm a strong boy. I'm a big boy. And it's like, you can still be strong and big and cry. And that yeah. for me is like a huge thing. And it's funny because most of the men I've been in relationships with have been the ones that find it difficult to, <laughs> to actually express emotion, um, which I think is why I'm more passionate about it now, because I believe we're all human beings that need to be able to express and we all feel it's not gender. It's not one gender and the other, you know? So I think it's it's a beautiful thing to talk about children and mental health and boys and the boys that grow up to be men with these blocks. Oh, yeah. Expressing oh, yeah. emotion. And how do you feel? Have you always been this expressive and open about your mental health? Has this been something that's been a journey for you? How um, have you got to, to where you are now? Because I would clash you as a very emotionally intelligent and mature man and vulnerable. And I, I don't think that's a very common thing to see. I mean, more, it's becoming more common, but it, you know, it hasn't been the, you know, the, the norm. Yeah. I think there's, there's state, you go through stages like anything. Um, 
By the way, thanks for calling me emotionally intelligent. You heard it from her, <laughs> listeners. That You're was welcome. not my words. Uh, <laughs> but really, it's like you know, I'm. I mean, you just said so much that is that's so important on this topic. Um, so I'm going to back up a little bit, but I'm just thinking about like I live in in Morocco, and culturally here, it's. They're really, and I don't want to generalize, but just as a culture overall, they're nowhere near the kind of acceptance of emotional vulnerability that uh, some culture, like, you know, um, American culture, Western European cultures, like are starting to, it's starting to become normalized there, but I mean, not at all here in North Africa. And so teaching kids here, it's, it's a magnified struggle to, to help, um, young boys and even, you know, grown men understand that there's nothing wrong with expression, expressing your emotion, emotion and crying. And I think there's levels to the ability. We'll just take crying, for example, because crying is still really hard for me. I really don't cry a lot and I want to cry. I want to cry all the time. Um, and so there's, there's not crying because you don't think it's okay because you're taught that, you know, real men don't cry, all of that stuff that you mentioned. And then when, you know, in my case, like I, I have known for probably 15 years that it's difficult for me to cry. And I kind of wore that as a badge of honor a little bit. Like, you know, I kind of pl- bought into the whole, like, it makes me more of a man and, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm vulnerable enough uh, to, to admit that I can't cry, but like, I'm still cool and manly cause I can't <laughs> cry. And like, yeah. then you get to a point when you, you drop that and it's still difficult to cry. So I have, I have no, um, I have no qualms about crying and I, I would, I would never feel any need to deny that I'm upset or that I am crying or was crying or whatever. And I still, uh, struggle with crying. So now then, then the next layer I think has to do with your, in tuneness with your own body and your own emotions. And it's when, if it's hard for you to really feel emotions, you know, there's a difference between feeling them and not wanting to express them and then actually having trouble feeling them. I mean, that can come from a million different uh, traumatic events. And like you said, it could be bit by bit. So I didn't experience any overt tragedy when I was younger, but you know, when you're a from birth to about age seven, we are the most impressionable when it comes to kind of our subconscious beliefs about ourselves, about the world around us. How safe is the world? Who am I? How do I fit in? What's my worth? What is love and human connection? And what, you know, what's my place in all of that? And so there were so many events in my perfectly, we'll call it normal um, and pleasant you know, suburban American childhood mm-hmm. that led me to believe that it, you know, in some way, shape or form, um, I'm not worthy of love or love is conditional upon my being a certain way. Um, I need to work in order to gain others approval. It's the only way I'm going to be loved or not be rejected or not be abandoned. Um, and so with those, those thoughts also come a disconnection, like a dissociation from your body. Um, and so feeling emotions like that's the, that's like, I'm still in kind of the infancy of the journey about really, truly like getting down with myself and with nobody else there, not, not about talking about it, not about sending a message to other people about the importance of mental health, but Mm -hmm. just me and my ability to feel. And then once you can feel, you can express like that's the ongoing thing every day for me. And that's, that's pretty new for me. But to go back to just your original question, I mean, I, I started taking notice of mental health probably when I was like 20 years old in university. 
when I started just getting, you know, things got really hard. Um, I went to a really rigorous undergrad program and it was like sink or swim. And I decided to swim, but it triggered like this intense anxiety. And so it was really anxiety that kind of at like 20 years old, 21, that like got me thinking about mental health uh, and my own life. Um, even though I had been interested in psychology and stuff before that, it was really like I started thinking about myself and making it not a priority um, until I was older, but at least just something I was considering about my life was was anxiety. Yeah, I can like I really resonate with a lot of what you've said. Actually, like I felt like you were speaking my story in the beginning when you said you know, the, the age between, you know, the impressionable age up to seven and feeling like you have to have to earn love and earn, you know, earn feeling worthy and for me chosen and accepted. Mm. Um, I really felt like I had to work for that and I had to, you know, grow up. I grew up in a household where a loving one, like I said, but I watched my mum kind of give, give, give and give for everyone else. And I thought, oh, this is what love is. You do, you do, you do. You you show what you can give people. You show what you can do for people. And that has resulted in me being an, an in, well, I'm working on it, but an adult that, that gives to others before giving to myself and gives to others to, to get love. And mm. it's, it's really hard when you've been kind of programmed. Uh, you know, it, what our parents haven't, you know, done this on purpose. It's, it, you know, it's been subconsciously programmed, you know, and put into us. But it's really hard when you recognize it and to come out of it. So, yeah, it is a journey. And I didn't go the way that you've gone where I can't, you know, I can't cry and I, you know, there's, I struggle with my emotions. I kind of went the other way, where like, <laughs> I just couldn't stop. I, I, I feel everything and I feel everything to very intense, to a high intensity. Hmm. Um, but I don't know if that, if, you know, we've had similar experiences, but it just shows you that we can have similar experiences and be affected in different ways. So for you, it has been, you know the struggle to really be able to feel everything and to, and to cry but the beauty of it is is the awareness of where where you're at now to be able to say oh look i'm actually aware of of this now i'm aware and i'm going to work on on getting through this and i think that's like that's more than the first step that's like you're on you're on that path and you're on that journey and for me, there's small victories that you'll probably don't even see that will be happening where, I mean, with the crying thing, I can't relate because <laughs> I think I cry every day, actually. That, that, that's a real, real, real thing. Oh, I'm jealous. Give, Honestly, me, give me one of those days. Maybe you take six days a week. Just give me one of your days. Yeah. Like <laughs> if I could, if I could, I would. And it's, it's really the... The thing that I struggle with, and I don't know if you do, I feel like I don't know if men, this is where the men, the, the gender roles play differently. I feel like men are better with anger. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you are with anger. I'm, I can't do anger. If I feel angry, I cry. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I really, and that's, that's an emotion that I shouldn't be dismissing. Like anger is, you know, it's like you saying I can't cry. I can't get angry and that's just as much as a block as you saying you can't cry because all emotions are welcome and I feel like all emotions they shouldn't be separated they're all doing one thing and they are expressing a feeling in yes. different ways they're going to come out they're going to come out yeah. you know we we know that they say like we've always heard don't don't bottle it up or else you know it'll explode at one point mm. but but I think what people don't realize if we're especially if we're talking about men is that your your sadness your anger your fear your insecurity it's mm-hmm. it's going to manifest in some way so yeah. if you're not going to express it in a healthy way it's it will and it might just be like 
leaking out into small parts of your life. So it's hard to discern that, oh, this is my my unexpressed anger or sadness mm. seeping through. But that's almost worse, right? Because let's say it's the it's this the way you talk to your partner, right? Becomes more uh, short or just just mean, right? Disrespectful, mm-hmm. um, and that's just that's not where you want to put that anger, right? That's not going to give you a healthy, happy relationship. Or it could be the way you treat your kids or the way you approach your job. Um, like it, it becomes a chronic expression of these emotions rather than facing them um, and acknowledging them and then doing something consciously about them. So choosing to, to let anger or sadness pass through you in uh, whatever way that is. And it is something that I struggle with. I mean, I, I struggle with, again, I, I mentioned that I, I, ha- I struggle with feeling emotion in the first place and identifying emotion. And I used to have a therapist years ago who would, the big thing we worked on was um, I would describe my feelings in terms of, of thought. And he mm-hmm. said, he would stop me and say, that's a thought, tell me the feeling. And it was so hard for me to be able to know, is this, am I feeling anxiety? Am I feeling sadness? Am I feeling anger? Am I feeling nervousness? Whatever it is. And it was so easy for me to live in my head instead of in my body and to be able to say, I feel like I don't want to do this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when you, as soon as you say that, you're not talking in, in terms of feelings. You're talking in terms of, of thoughts. So if you can recognize the feeling, then you decide consciously, okay, I need, I need to, uh, you know, I'm a martial artist, so I need to go hit the punching bag. Mm. Uh, and, or, you know, I need to go scream and do a pillow. I just need a good scream. Um, or I need to cry or I need to, to run. I need to get this out physically, however it is. Find or, out yeah. yeah. So I would say just a, a message to the men who truly believe that it is not manly or a sign of weakness to cry or to express your emotions. It's the really the most courageous thing you can do. And if we look at you know, one tenet of masculinity as being kind of um, assuming control over your responsibility over your own decisions, right? That's a very masculine trait. And I think it's a healthy masculine trait. Yeah. Uh, then there's, there's no better way to take responsibility for your actions and decisions than to say, I'm feeling this way and I need to do this in order to process it instead of denying that feeling is, I mean, that's not very strong. Denying, stopping yourself from crying or talking it out or doing what you need to just do. Just getting on with it. That's a big one that I hear. Right. Oh, I just get on with it. Yeah, I or I, I sweep it under the rug. Like, that's are you a... getting on with it? Or are you, yeah, are you getting like, are you pushing it under a carpet? Exactly. Um, and so it takes, it, it takes, you know, it, if, if we're worried about, wanting to seem manly, wanting to seem masculine and strong. What, I mean, I can't think of a more masculine thing than to take ownership of your feelings and to decide on your terms how you're going to process them healthily so that there's space in your life for healthy relationships and healthy engagement with the rest of your life. Well, as a woman, I can say, and I could probably speak for a lot of women, that there's nothing more attractive than a vulnerable man. That you can, heard it here, folks. You heard yeah, it here, I man. Mean, for me, it's, you know, I mean, maybe when I was younger, I was more impressed with like kind of the macho, you know, because I was closed off. So that was probably more attractive to me. But now for me, I remember recently, actually, um, I'm actually not dating at the moment. I've chosen to not date. And I went out for dinner and a guy approached me and, you know, I'm not me. It's not like I'm, like, hissing at a man that comes near me. Like, I've been there before, though. I have hissed at men. Like, that's <laughs> a long time ago. I, had, I went through a phase of, like, hating men. So I'm not, like, in a... I'm not in a hating men place. I'm in a... I'm focusing on me place. But I remember he... he it wasn't that long ago, actually. about a month ago. And he approached me and he was like... I was like, oh, like, how long... You know, the usual questions. How long have you lived here? Because I live in a place where there's a lot of expats in Marbella in Spain and um, had a little conversation. I was like, oh, 
you know, are, you know, we went through the conversation of, are you single? Yeah. And you went, yeah, like, actually, I don't think I've ever been in love. I don't think I've ever loved anything. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> for me, it was like, not even a red flag. It was like a, um, like a, like a big, like, I don't know, mountain of flags for me. Yeah. I was like, that's like, that's like the biggest, for someone to say, I don't think I've ever like loved anyone or like anything like it for me I was like wow and but he said it in a way to me that he was almost like it was like a badge you know like you said he was almost like yeah I'm proud of that like I'm Hmm. you know I'm and all I saw was a little boy that had never fully been loved like I saw his little inner child and I thought that that's sad and obviously, and also I walked away because I was like, this is not my project, <laughs> like, yes. which is a big learning thing for me because in the past I'd be like, oh, let me help him know what love is. <laughs> but yeah, yes. so that was, I'm starting to see the difference in, um, you know, in a, in a man that's really doing the work. And I, hmm. I mean, I, it's a bit of a cliche saying the work, but you know what I mean in terms of like, like you just said, learning yourself and taking accountability and kind of finding your way of navigating an emotion um instead of saying like you said you know I'm feeling I feel like I don't want to do that okay why don't I want to do that and it could be rooted in anything for me usually it's in fear it's like in fear of failing for example like a guest on my podcast and Mm. you know people get cancelling and there's a little part of me Oh, that was that was uh the lightning and thunder oh wow just right over my head that was crazy i don't know if that is that a good sign i mean we're into signs here we well we need the rain so if you're thinking of it that way it's a good sign but man that was i felt that right i actually my body thought like some i don't know something had fallen in the background so yeah well just reel the podcast. That was a very <laughs> exactly. real moment. Well, I mean, you know, it's Mother Nature talking to us. Um, and I've, I was I, her saying, I agree, I think. She was like, yes. yes, preach. Yes, preach. I don't even know what I was saying. Um, now I've like lost my train of thought. Um, but to what you're saying is, yeah, finding an outlet that works for you. Like it doesn't work for anyone, everyone, everyone. So like it could be like rooted in fear and it could be, okay, why am I scared? What What's... For me with this podcast it's like what what is the fear that it's not going to be good and yeah really at the the end of the day who's to say what's good and bad for one which is a whole other conversation because <laughs> yeah. the whole good and bad thing is it, it's an illusion that there's no good or bad um and to actually just do it anyway you know feel the fear and do it anyway yeah so i think it takes courage to like feel any type of emotion and find your way out so yeah you you mentioned when you were 21 and you started feeling all this the anxiety and getting curious um was there a time before you came became aware that you sabotaged anything in your life due to your mental health um not knowing how to cope was there a time where you felt like you kind of projected and oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I, so I think about, uh, I, um, I've always had a deep fear of failure. Mm-hmm. I think my, my deep, you know, I have some, I have a few deep seated fears that are, uh, that kind of, you know, it's not just one thing, but I, I think that, uh, rejection and failure are probably the two big ones. And, I turned down so many opportunities as a child that I just didn't, I didn't want to do because I didn't want to commit to and then have that commitment result in failure. And whether failure means um, rejection or lack of accomplishment or waste of time, you know, like a big thing is just like, oh, am I just going to do this and then it's not going to work out and then, uh, Mm. you know, I'll have wasted my time and that followed me into my adult life too. I struggle with that still. But when I was a kid, it was that kind of things where just, you know, like I, I, I can't think of too many specifics, but just like, um, 
acting programs as a kid, like uh, more, I was a musician as a teenager, like just opportunities to put myself out there and perform, um, to, to travel. You know, I love traveling. I mean, I grew up in the US, I live in North Africa now, but it took me long to embrace that. And I'm just thinking about those opportunities to take take school-related trips to travel internationally as, as a younger person that I just, you know, I didn't want to step out of my comfort zone. Um, the big thing was with relationships. I know you mentioned the, the, the kind of macho types who are closed off. There, there's also uh, the other side of an unhealthy relationship with your emotions, specifically in men, that some call a uh, nice guy syndrome. And so, so that was me. Um, I remember my first relationship in high school was just as toxic and codependent as you can imagine. And I didn't, I didn't learn from it. Um, and I, I mean, part of it was, I just, I wasn't literate enough with this kind, this level of thought and reflection to be able to understand that. But, um, you have to swallow your ego to also admit that you're, you've played a part in any kind of dysfunction in your life. And I wasn't ready to swallow my ego, but my ego never manifested as like a macho kind of dude. It always manifested as the nice guy who felt like, you know, I needed to be different than all the other guys, different than the macho guys. And I could use that kind of persona to manipulate my way into being loved Ooh, uh, by women. I really felt that, that the manipulating to be loved. Yeah. And, and, you know, for a lot of men, I mean, for like, for me, like, uh, sex was the, the, the thing I was after because that's what, made me feel most validated. You know, the idea that uh, a girl wanted to sleep with me was the most validating thing. And so, you know, you grow up with these ideas around love and sex and how, you know, the women, women don't really want to just sleep with you. You need to, uh, there has to be something more or they only really want to sleep with the, the macho guys, the cool guys. And I had this self image of not being macho or attractive or cool or manly. And so I felt like all, it, it was almost like you're, you're making the promise of love and relationship and commitment just to get validated by sex or by connection in whatever way. And, uh, that, then you, when you're in a relationship like that, whether, you know, like I was 15, I think when this relationship started and it's like, it doesn't matter if you're 15 or 30 or 40, mm -hmm. you, you, you're in a relationship with the idea of somebody who's devoted to you. You are not in a relationship with the person. Um, mm. and it took me several relationships into my twenties, you know, starting at that first one at age 15 and going into my twenties to really un unpack this and to really, it's not, you know, it's not all her fault. Mm. Uh, you know, I, there was a lot of dysfunction going on there for me. So, yeah. So, so I guess that there are many ways to answer your question that before I started becoming anxious, um, and aware of mental health, mm. this stuff was, was a huge, huge thing huge factor in my life i that was really interesting again oh there yeah. we go soundtrack um, of nature <laughs> every time i speak every time i speak <laughs> there's She's some cheering you on i know i love it um it's really interesting actually having this in this conversation with you because the a lot of the points you made about the the love to to kind of gain the, the sex to gain love. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that I went through for years. And it's it's really quite, it, it's quite comforting to know that, that men also have experienced that. Um, I know the, the, the kind of the sex dynamic for men and women has been portrayed to be different, that men just want you for sex and women give sex for love. And I think there are a lot of dynamics to that with the, the kind of the 
I don't want to say toxic men, but you know, the men, the macho men that are, that, you know, need sex to feel like a man. Yep. Um, but yeah, I really resonated with, with that. And I almost similarly, like similar to you, I, I gave sex and I, I put that as, I gave, I used that as my validation. I was like, oh, I'm wanted and mm-hmm. I'm desired because this person's having sex with me. I didn't yeah. ever stop to think like, <laughs> like sometimes I didn't stop to think like, what are they bringing for me? Like, exactly. what are they actually bringing? It, you know, I was so focused on what I could give to them and how they would receive me and how, you know, how I'd look through their lens. And I, I almost completely like would not even think about how do I feel about this person? And do I actually want to have yeah, sex with exactly. this person? Do I even want this dude? Like, is this doing anything for me? Like, is this doing anything for me? And I think that's like the growth, like the early 20s, like the similar similar age for me where I was going through that time. Um, but I think as well, there's a different pressure with men and sex than there is with women. Well, yeah. And, and it's just, it's just, it's not, I mean, it's, the pressure with, you know, from individual man to individual woman. And then there's the pressure around your relationship with sex, which Mm. that, that was the big thing for me was I believed like, if I'm a, you know, my 15 year old self, Mm. like I, if, if someone had told me like, you can just have sex with somebody, but you don't have to be in a relationship with them but if you know you both are consenting and like mm-hmm. want to do that and that's the dynamic between you i would have been like sweet that's exactly what i want as if yeah. you know 15 year old boy who but i i believed that i had to be in a relationship with somebody and i had to basically make all these sacrifices to be in a terribly toxic codependent relationship mm-hmm. to be able to be loved um and one of the expressions of that love being the sex that i mm-hmm. that i was kind of my end goal. And I wouldn't have been able to tell you that at age 15, but looking back, you know, I, I basically didn't leave the, these terrible relationships because I didn't think I was good enough to get anything else. And that was the only way I could have physical connection, which is like, which is probably my number one love language is like physical touch. So it was kind of all, all of that, you know, and, then it was it was in my like mid late 20s that i went in the other direction because i i developed you know because of that mm-hmm. i had really only had sex with people i was in a relationship with you know give or wow. take a couple so up until i don't know there there were a few outliers but it was basically that was my serial relationship with sex and so that was a point of insecurity with me cuz because I thought, you know, I'm here. I am in my twenties, and I'm so I'm supposed to have had these crazy college days where I had a bunch of one night stands, and I'm supposed to have a high number, and I'm supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to have experienced a bunch of different women, and I'm supposed to be considered good in bed because mm-hmm. I've been with so many women, and and all this pressure I put on myself because I thought that that's what society wanted of me. So then then I went the opposite direction. And I started like listening to like pickup artist stuff, like, (laughs) and like, you know, learning the game that I never learned because I was always in a relationship. Yeah. And so then, yeah, play, yeah, basically playing catch up. And that became, that became a real driving goal of mine for a while. And, uh, of course it, you know, it just wasn't very fulfilling, but at the time i that was just my point in the journey and one thing that doing that is helpful for with nice guys is that it it does you know we were talking before we started uh recording about like how everybody can learn from the opposite type of person right so mm-hmm. as a as a pisces uh you can learn from a virgo yeah. who you know some structure and organization and whatever well, I think a nice guy can really learn from the macho, you know, uh, ladies man type because the, what the nice guy does is for validation, he sacrifices himself 
so and tries to be whatever the woman wants or whatever he thinks she needs him to be so that she'll have sex with him. Mm. And that's where he gets the idea of like, oh, well, she only wants, she only goes for assholes. She only goes for bad boys. And one of the qualities that assholes and bad boys exhibit is that they, they're true to themselves and that they don't, they don't really care what anybody else thinks. And that's what's so attractive. And then there's a bunch of toxic qualities that come with it, but, but the the kind of golden nugget from playing this pickup artist game for a little while in my 20s was that I learned to be more comfortable not being liked by everybody and being okay with like get you know getting rejected and trying out you know new ways of talking to people or whatever and it just it builds your social confidence in a way where you, you have to the whole point of being a nice guy trying to turn into a pickup artist is that you have to let go of the need to be liked by everybody all the yeah. time. And so, you know, going through that, it's not, those aren't the days I'm most proud of, but they were an important step on this journey of kind of learning what are, who's the nice guy, who's the the macho guy, and what are the, the good qualities from each that you combine mm-hmm. to be, you know, a grounded, integrated man uh, while, you know, leaving behind the, the toxic ones that, that don't really work. I think those experiences are needed in like for men and women, to be honest. I, I don't think that's a, I think, you know, I, I, I have a lot of shame about myself um, because I, I had a, you know, I was quite the opposite. I wasn't really a relationship girl. I had some toxic, a toxic relationship and then a very codependent one when I was younger. And then I went seven years of just, I would say I was like a fuck girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Not, you know, I didn't hurt people, but I, I just didn't let people, I didn't let men get close. So I just have th- this sex with no, with no attachment. Um, and I felt horrible for years. It was a horrible feeling. And, but I thought, well, this is, this is how it should be. And this is how you don't get hurt. When I was hurting myself the whole time, but without those experiences and without having, experiencing both sides of being like the nice guy like you said and like you know over giving and and then being the other side where you're like almost like I do not give a well you say on the surface I don't give a fuck but you you deep down you're like I really care and I just want to be loved (laughs) like somebody just love me but um yeah I think you know we shouldn't hold shame about any of those experiences because we wouldn't be where we are now. We wouldn't know how, you, like you said, how you wouldn't know how to be this integrated man that you are now without those experiences. So I think they all serve, definitely serve a purpose. Yeah. Um, and you have to know sometimes firsthand, right? You have to, mm-hmm. like you said, that you felt, you know, you felt horrible um, mm-hmm. in those, like how, how else do you really know how horrible it feels unless you do it and you do it for a while sometimes right and you feel that it gets old and you feel like it's not the answer sometimes the only way to know is to kind of exhaust it as a possibility yeah um, and also i didn't realize how horrible i felt it was one of those mm-hmm. i thought it was normal to feel like that after sex like, yeah. oh, you should feel like in a pit of shame <laughs> and, and dissatisfied and empty inside like this must be this must be just how it feels yeah, and I went for years like feeling like that was the thing and then I was like this isn't this isn't how I want to feel um but yeah it's definitely a journey that I think we can relate on men and women we go through I think we, as women and how that how men are portrayed in this in you know again we're like breaking stigmas here because I think we're always taught that men and I see it still online our men can just have sex with no emotion and yeah there is that that you know scientifically I think it is we have a lot we release a different hormone to men during sex so that that is possible but I don't believe that all men can go around having sex without feeling anything and I think that's a real I think it's something that we've been programmed to think that men will just kind of what do they do they call it like slash and dash is that what the kids say (laughs) i've never heard that (laughs) maybe maybe i've made that up but something like you know basically like sleeping with women and leaving them and having no and and that that it does still happen yeah it's still very much alive but i also think it kind of it 
it takes away from the men that don't want that and the men that do have you know connect, that do want connection and want want you know the mental connection as well as the physical and to to create a a bond because the men that I know in my life they certainly are not the type of men that want to just go around and having casual sex so I think yeah. for us we need to take responsibility as women to stop categorizing men as a certain yeah. type you know like you said the nice guy and the the I want to say like the toxic man that there is an in-between and there is a balance and it does exist yes um and I think it men exists for women too so much yeah for women too but I think women we get let off a lot we get a lot off as you know oh she's been re- she's been left she's been used men yeah. do as well men get used men are are um I have these experiences and I think it's really important that us as women, like we, we understand that, that men do feel, <laughs> that do feel yes. something and they don't just want to have sex and leave, you know? Yeah. Well, when, when we stereotype a group, we, mm. then we, that completely absolves us of all responsibility of looking at the individual. Mm. And I think the stereotypes are rooted in some evolutionary truth where you know a woman a woman has to bear the child right if you're thinking Mm. about tribal time she has to bear the child and the human is one of the most vulnerable animals at birth so it's not like you know the it's not like a baby can just come out and start crawling (laughs) and then yeah it's so there's evolutionary incentive for a woman to want a man to stick around Mm. for the family because otherwise she and the kid probably die if we're looking, you know, thousands of years ago. And for the, the man, when we look at any species, their kind of prime primal evolutionary objective is to keep their genes going and he can spread his seed Mm. to whoever, however many people and well into kind of older age, he can still do that. So if you, were to if you were to look at those roots and say oh okay i can see why there's a kernel of truth in the way that men and women approach it but there are plenty of women who can also have sex without emotional attachment and there are plenty of men who also need emotional uh where sex and emotion are not separable and so we can we can kind of look at those stereotypes as kind of like, huh, interesting. But we, mm. I mean, as soon as we take them as truth, we eliminate all nuance and we eliminate all possibility for, for a di- different types of people, mm. for people who are, who are blends of all different experiences and attitudes yeah. and needs and backgrounds. And it's like, we, we are not stereotypes. So, you know, use, use those types of things as tools, I guess, for understanding at some level. But I mean, they're, they're not truth. No, yeah. no defining of mind. any group is truth. Open your mind to, to, to more and to the thing. I mean, to myself as well. I went through down that, down that road of all men are the same. I've been in that time in my life. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. a lot of women have all men are the same and which is, it's just not truth. Um, one last thing we're going to, I want you to quickly touch on because it's something that you are, I'm seeing that you're doing a lot of online, you're facilitating breath work. And hmm. I just want you to touch on, I mean, I love breath work. Um, I absolutely love it. There's a lot of people that I speak to about it and they're like, what is it? I don't understand it. So <laughs> what, what, just a quick kind of overview on what breath work is and how it, it supports mental health. Yes, for sure. So, um, well, the I think for men especially, we were it's harder for us to approach mental and emotional health from the mind. So you can you can think of like the brain is as part of the body. So there's a physiological approach to mental health, which involves brain chemistry. And then there's the psychological approach, which is the mind and your thoughts and uh, all of the, the conditioning and all that type of stuff. So that's a little bit more abstract and it tends to be harder for men to to uh, take that approach. So uh, there was a, uh, a woman named Ida Rolf. She 
Have you ever heard of rolfing? No, I haven't actually. It's a, it's kind of a mix between like, I would say like deep tissue massage meets physical therapy, um, where it's, it's a lot of deep, they call it structural integration. So it's basically a form of body work. And, uh, this particular approach was founded by this woman named Ida Rolf. And she, one of her famous quotes is we work with the body because that's what we can get our hands on. And I think that's a powerful statement for men who aren't necessarily ready to sit with the thoughts and the conditioning and the psychological components to mental health, because there are so many things you can do physically that, that help your mental health from a physiological standpoint. And then when you're feeling grounded there, a lot of the time we're more ready to kind of approach the next level, which is like the the conditioning and the psychological side. And one of the best ways to balance your psychology through your physiology is through breathing. Movement and exercise too. We know that like, you know, they always say like exercise is great for mental health, endorphins and, Mm. you know, and just overall quality of life. That's a hundred percent true. But breathing is so often overlooked and we do it all day, every day. And and, wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And wrong. (laughs) We do it wrong, which is crazy, but yeah, it's, it's. Well, and it's, it's not our fault. We do it wrong. Right. But it's our we grow up doing all sorts of things dysfunctionally. We walk Mm -hmm. wrong because we wear shoes that mess with our feet. We Mm -hmm. breathe wrong because we're sitting in chairs all that we're all sorts of messed up Mm -hmm. because we do all sorts of stuff. That's just not the way our bodies are supposed to function. And so if we're mindful of that, then we can start to counterbalance it. Um, So with breathing, the you basically have two sides of your autonomic nervous system you have your sympathetic and your parasympathetic Mm -hmm. so the sympathetic is what some people call fight or flight but it's not just fight or flight it's kind of in charge of um anything that you need uh energy or like hyper alertness for your sympathetic nervous system will switch on and then your parasympathetic nervous system is the rest and digest and recover. So mm-hmm. we should be in parasympathetic nervous system most of the time. Um, and that's what allows us to chill for our autom- automated body functions like digestion and our brain and our blood flow and all of that to just work um, smoothly. And if we have too much of the other side mm-hmm. all the time, the sympathetic tone, we start to live in a chronic state of stress and we don't even realize it because it's not conscious. Mm. So one of the ways, and this sounds paradoxical, it sounds like it doesn't make sense, but most people actually over breathe. They breathe too much and over breathing. Because you know, when you're holding like anxiety, your breath's shorter and you kind of like, like you're like, uh-huh. it's like a panic breath panic yeah so breath. yeah so Rather panic so slow steady you're absolutely right so mm-hmm. when you're when you're panicked like say you're having a panic attack right mm-hmm. and you're hyperventilating you're breathing really really fast yeah you're you're it's kind of like this vicious cycle mm-hmm. where your breath is controlling you because you're taking in all of this uh oxygen like too much oxygen mm-hmm. so you're breathing through your mouth and you're breathing really shallow and really fast. So you're breathing in you all this like oxygen. Breathing. I'm just checking my breathing. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> breath check, everybody. Everybody take a breath check. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what that does is it's sending a message to your nervous system that you're in trouble and that you okay. need more oxygen because you're facing some sort of stress that requires extra oxygen. Yeah. And so that panics you more, which causes you to breathe more. And that's your, your vicious cycle. So if you're feeling stressed for any reason, or you're feeling anxious, or you're feeling like you just can't, you can't deal right now, Mm. change your breath and you can, it's like a switch that you can just Mm. change your, your nervous system. So a couple ways to do that is number one is to, to do a, a dedicated breath work practice regularly, whether it's once a week or every day. Um, 
and learn how to control your respiratory muscles, learn how to manipulate the length and depths of your breath to give your yourself different goals. So if you're tired and sleepy, you might actually want to activate the sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. If you're really stressed, you want to activate the parasympathetic nervous system with slower breaths, especially slower exhales. Um, and then, you know, of course, breath, with breath work comes an element of mindfulness. So that automatically starts to train the psychological side of focusing on the breath. Um, so there are, there are just so, there are so many benefits to it. And if yeah. I were to say, if I were to give people like one or two, just everyday pieces of advice, even if you're not going to do a breath work class or a breath work practice of your own is number one, breathe through your nose hundred percent of the time, unless you're eating or talking or exercising really hard. Um, that slows down your breathing automatically. It filters the air. It warms the air. It stimulates nitrous oxide, which is a blood vessel dilator. So it improves your blood circulation and it stops you from over breathing because most over breathing happens through the mouth too fast, uh, of, of breaths. And number two, is to breathe is to learn how to use your your diaphragm your breathing muscles correctly mm -hmm. so to to feel that uh that expansion starting all the way down at the pelvic floor really and then it kind of the breath drawing in first from the low belly and yeah. then expanding outwards uh from the ribs and then finally maybe a little bit from the chest but if you're breathing from all from the chest uh you're you're not you're not breathing right and no, because it's not, it's only, it's coming chest and up and it's not going through the body. Yeah, exactly. And the and most, most of where you're, yeah, it's stuck. And that area is not a good area no. because most of the blood, uh, the blood transfer, the transfer of oxygen to your blood happens mm. in the lower lobes of the lungs. And so if you're filling from the bottom of the lungs by engaging your belly and side ribs, you're bringing oxygen into the parts of the lungs that mm -hmm. deliver it to your blood most effectively. It's called a uh, ventilation perfusion. So that's, that's a super important part. So if you just want to kind of fix your everyday relationship to your mm -hmm. breath without, without committing a lot of time, commit to breathing to deep belly and rib breathing and all through your nose all the time and watch your life change yeah and for those people that find breathwork intimidating because the, the first one I did <laughs> the first one I did was like a retreat and it was a real like spiritual we went in like I went I I I, I got thrown in the deep end like with this breathwork I didn't know what was coming what was coming and we did an hour of breathwork which is it's a lot for your first with the music you know the to to activate and I remember like feeling so panicked. I was like, oh my God, my hands are like tingling. Like I felt like everywhere yes. that there was trauma, I felt like deep, like pressure and pain. And then I came, I cried. There were so many emotions. I laughed. There was so much that came up for me. And then I felt like amazing. I felt like release afterwards, but I also felt really vulnerable and I went up to my room and I was like, everyone was like, hey, just like how the other facilitator was like, how's, how are you after your first thing? And I was like, um, I feel a little bit dizzy. I'm just going to go lay down. Like I felt really, but it changed my life. Like once I got through that first thing, but I would probably say to people is to start small, to start with me. I mean, there's so many on YouTube and you actually do some live breath work. Yeah. Don't you? And how long... Yeah. How long are yours? Mine are about um, 45 minutes. Mm. So, but it's not all, there are different types of breath work. So I, I've done, I've experienced the type that you're talking about, which is very, uh, very intense, right? And so if you're <laughs> yeah. in, in, intimidated by that type, um, no worries. There's, I think the idea behind that is that you, you over breathe on purpose for a lot. Mm. You, you, you hyperventilate um, and interesting stuff that happens with the oxygen to carbon dioxide ratio of your blood when 
you you basically over oxygenate and you breathe off a bunch of that co2 you start to like your lips start to tense your fingers can start to tense it's called tetany it's a weird yeah. sensation the jaw and as well for me the jaw yeah and then there's the tingling the lightheadedness mm. the dizziness the euphoria all of these crazy sensations and that the, the idea behind that type of breath work is that will bring deep trauma to the surface mm. and then um I've done classes where, you know, you do that for like 20 minutes straight and then mm. you scream. And when you scream, it's like this huge release of that trauma. Mm. And then, then it kind of comes back down and there's visualizations. And I mean, though, you know, lots of tears that that's, that's one thing that facilitated some crying for me. That was helpful. But, oh, did uh, you cry? I did. Yeah. Wow. That, Amazing. That was, yeah. That was the last time I, I cried. Uh, yeah. So like there's those that are geared toward that super intense like trauma release. Mm -hmm. And then there's like my breath work is, is more, it's for general like exploration of breathing yeah. for physical and mental health. So we usually, we start with just mechanics. So we're just mm -hmm. gently learn and practice how to breathe into the belly and the ribs. Yeah. And then I'll do some sort of energizer that, that has to do with um, oxygenating uh, somehow. So like we might hyperventilate for a short amount of time, mm -hmm. or we might just, uh, do some like power breathing where we're just like forcefully exhaling, yeah. um, anything like that. And then after that energizer, we'll start the relaxation piece, which is not at mm -hmm. all intense. It's nothing like the classes that you and I were just describing. It's yeah. focusing <laughs> on, yeah, switching, into a state of relaxation and recovery and slowing down the breathing and using different tempos of breathing, like, you know, inhaling for a certain count, exhaling for a certain count, some small breath holds to just kind of like promote this, the silence from the breath, the relaxation, mm -hmm. the calm. And so that's what, um, we, want. <laughs> that's what we want. That's how we, we want to walk out of a breath work session, feeling like you just got a massage and that's yeah. the way yeah yeah and i find when i do I, I don't really do those intense ones that often only if i go on a retreat and when i do breath work now i just on youtube um i just do like 20 minutes 20 30 minutes and it, mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's so powerful and i really would i would really encourage anyone listening to to i'm going to put everything in the notes anyway of the show like for your instagram um but if you could just let people know where to find you um, because I think it would be great for anyone that's new to breathwork to come and try out one of your classes. I still need to. So yeah, I need to get in. I need to yeah. get in on the next one. Oh, I'd um, love to have you. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I'd love the great thing about online classes like this is that there's not really a limit, you know, to, mm. uh, so uh, the more the merrier, um, and when it's online, people can always choose whether they want to keep their camera on or off. You know, mm -hmm. I can, I can, I can help you more if I can see if your belly and your ribs are moving properly, mm -hmm. but it's not required. You know, you can do it kind of like webinar style where yeah. you've just got me on there. Um, but yeah, it, so my Instagram is moves with Coombs, uh, with underscores in between them. Um, so like I said, I'm a, I'm a movement coach primarily with the breathing stuff also. Uh, and I usually... I focus most of my time and energy on my in-person clients and classes, but my online offerings are, they're kind of irregular. So it's like when I have a free Saturday or Sunday, I'll post on Instagram that we're going to have uh, a breathwork class that's online. That's so Pisces of you, by the way. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's one of my... So there you go. Very yeah. Nice. You see, I'm learning. You're I'm learning moving toward my North node. <laughs> But yeah, it's just sporadic. Um, and if, you know, if people are interesting, interested in uh, training either breath work or movement kind of more intentionally with me, one-on-one -on -one or small group, um, I'm easily contactable on Instagram. Um, but I also, I'm moveswithcombs at gmail.com. And my website is coombs, my last name, dot I-S-S-A certified trainer dot Calm. Wow. Well, we'll write all this in the notes anyway. Yeah. But... Yeah. 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 So there's, and I'm, you know, I don't mind inquiries. I like talking to people. I don't mind messages. Uh, you know, so even if people are just like, Hey, I just was wondering about what, what the heck you're talking about with 
over breathing, I'm happy to talk with people. So, mm. you know, don't be shy to, to reach out on a message or an email or whatever. That's amazing. Okay. Well, it's been absolutely amazing having you on. Um, this is fun. Thank you so much fun. for having I, me. I mean, me, we could probably do a whole, we said before, we could probably talk all day. <laughs> like, so yep. I'm looking at like the hour mark and I'm thinking, okay, like, let's um, try and wrap it up. But I'll definitely have you on again because it's always such a great and insightful conversation with you. And every time I speak to you, the more I learn something. And also I resonate with a lot that you say which I think, again, brings, like, the unity of, like, the female and male, which I think there's quite a lot of division with, with us. And what it just shows that we're all human and we're all, we all have a lot of the same experiences. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to end. I've got a couple of questions that I just want to end, and I'm going to ask every guest. But, obviously, you're the first one. I kind of got the answer to, to – I think I got the answer to my first question. Um, when did you last cry? Uh, yeah, I the, I last cried at that last breathwork class. I, it was probably um, a couple months ago, maybe September. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so that's... it was I was it was that very intense uh, hyperventilating, and then after I let out that that scream at the end um, was when yeah the tears started. And I I cried pretty hard and oh, for good. for a while. It was a great cry. Oh, I love those ones. I yeah. love those ones where you feel like they're like therapy and you're like, oh, totally. I'm so released. Yep. Um, I mean, I'm I'm an avid crier. Maybe I should start like workshops on how to cry. <laughs> I would, I'd be your first it. customer. I would <laughs> very, be your first very, customer. Very, very good at it. Um, okay, lovely. And the last question is, if you could go back and speak to your younger self, and we're talking like, I think we're talking like child, you know, like when you're a little child and you go up and you can kneel to him, what would you say? Uh, I think I would say I would tell him to trust himself. I don't know what words I would use so that a little version of me could really understand <laughs> what I meant. But I think the idea would be, you know, don't you don't have to seek approval from other people, you don't have to assume that you're the wrong one and everybody else is, is right. Mm -hmm. If you know, trust your intuition, trust what you believe and, and move, just move through life with that as your compass rather than other people. That's what I would say. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that. And, um, it's been Oh my God, it's been an honor to have you on. It's been amazing. Thank an honor you for, me. for being my first ever guest. I mean, this is like a, you know, this is a moment that I will never forget. And I'm, I'm going to go down in history. I know. The first guest on this podcast. <laughs> this is amazing. So yeah, I'm really, really grateful for you. And I'm grateful for your, the, uh, the support that you've given me as well over the years. Because even though it's from afar, you've always, you know, you've always supported me and we've always had great conversations and yeah, I'm yes. very grateful for you. We've never, we've never met in person, I know. But, I, but I am, I am equally grateful for, uh, yeah, for, for the support from afar. And also just, you know, I, I really appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate the messages you're always sending out about healing and self-love mm -hmm. and, I think this podcast is just another beautiful expression of that. So once that. again, real honor to be the first guest here. I mean it. Yes, me too. And I will be, I will take you up in the offer of Morocco. I will be, I, when I can and I can get over there because I don't know if there's still restrictions, but I do want to visit Morocco. So if I'm, when I'm there, you will definitely be getting a call. Um, Can't wait. I really look forward to it. But thank you so much. And we'll definitely speak soon. Thank All right. you. Thank you.